Chapter Twenty One of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Twenty One: The Man with the Red Beard. London was thrilled with a new sensation. The attempt on the embankment came a little too late to get much chance of display in the morning papers of next day but it floated the second editions and positively flooded the evening journals another murder had been at least attempted in connection with the great diamond mine property another of the heirs had been found stricken down in his blood gerald had been carried to the charing cross hospital where he lay for long in uttermost peril of his life meanwhile the evidence about the attempt was singularly clear and simple mr bostock professor bostock of lady scardale's culture college at chelsea was happily able to tell a good deal about it mr bostock's story was that on the evening of the night when the attempt was made he had walked with mr aspin talking over various things that they had crossed and recrossed battersea bridge the professor living on the southern side of that new structure and that mr bostock warned him to be on his guard for he told him that he had seen a red-haired and red-bearded man very like the man he bostock saw on the night of the murder of seth chickering hanging about the gate of the culture college that mr aspin being a plucky and high-spirited young fellow had only laughed at the threatened danger that bostock had asked to be allowed to see him home and that aspin would not hear of it that he bostock nevertheless did follow aspin a long way on the embankment keeping at some distance behind him so as not to be noticed that just as they got to a lonely part of the embankment he fancied he saw a solitary figure lying on a bench but did not take much account of that having his eyes and his mind fixed on the safe progress of mr aspin that mr aspin stopped to light a cigar and that then bostock saw the man on the bench leap up and rush at him and strike him from behind but could not see what he struck him with that he bostock ran at the man and shouted out to him that he had got him and would never let him go that it was the same red-bearded man he had seen on the night of chickering's murder that aspen fainted and fell on the ground that he bostock and the murderer had a struggle that the assassin stabbed him with a knife in the right forearm and forced him to let go his hold and that he then ran up one of the streets leading to the strand and disappeared i am a pretty strong man mr bostock said but he was stronger than i and after the wound i got i could not hold him mr bostock expressed his regret that he had not had any weapon with him 
but he explained quite naturally that although he made his living by the sword it was not his way to carry weapons when walking the peaceful london streets and that on this night in particular he had not seen or fancied he saw the red-bearded man until after he started from the culture college in chelsea for a quiet walk with gerald aspen if i had carried a weapon of any kind he added with the solemn and grave assurance of a master of arms who knows himself this calamity could not possibly have occurred the professor himself had received a somewhat serious wound from a knife in the arm but from the first it was seen that the wound was not one to bring death with it the flying assassin evidently had not time to make more than a hasty and inconsiderate use of his weapon meanwhile he had gone and no trace of him seemed likely to be discovered then it became borne in upon all the public mind that there must be some binding thread of connecting purpose running through the terrible catalogue of deaths and attempts to bring about death which belonged to this story of the diamond mine the sharers in that great success had bound themselves to have the money divided within a given time between the surviving owners of the property and the persons whom any deceased owners of the property might have nominated as their heirs but they had further bound themselves to the condition that if any of the company should die without heirs his property was to be divided among the other partners seth chickering was killed the very first night of his arrival in london he had no heirs his money would on the first of the coming january be divided among the others that is the surviving heirs it was not clear by the terms of the document whether any one of the heirs might himself appoint an heir to receive his share in the case of his sudden death at all events it was highly unlikely that a young man like gerald aspen would have thought of nominating an heir in the case of his death to share a property to which he had not yet himself succeeded the inference from all this was that some one who understood the whole business and who was utterly unscrupulous as to means had possessed himself with the horrible idea of increasing the share of the survivors by diminishing their number leading articles were written in every paper every day to argue the question out to start new theories and to discredit older ones professor bostock was interviewed by various journalists he gave his idea with the utmost frankness he had no suspicion of any one he said but he could not think the red-haired man was anything more than an instrument in whatever nefarious conspiracy might be going on he pointed out as one who had read the whole story and knew many of those connected with it 
that there was at least one conspicuous claimant now absent and who had suddenly disappeared from london mr rat gundy he had heard that mr gundy had gone back to south america but in these days of steam and ocean racing south america was not very far off anyhow the news of this last attempt would soon get to south america and mr gundy would learn about the desperate attack made upon his friend mr aspin and then no doubt mr gundy would have something to say the catapult in especial shone in the fullness the perspicuity and what we may call the earnestness of its reported interviews was there not the young man of the catapult asked another of the claimants who had never been heard of one mr japhet bland did no suspicion rest on him none whatever so far as he had heard mr bostock was free to say had he formed a theory on that subject well he was except so far as fencing was concerned a somewhat dull and slow man whose intellect and whose conjectures were not of great account but if he were pressed he must say that he had formed a theory perfectly worthless no doubt being pressed the professor after much depreciation of his own intelligence yielded so far as to ask whether it was not possible that the missing japhet bland whose father was one of the original owners and who had been put to death by some of the rest might have been made aware of some nefarious plot going on and might have kept himself in obscurity and in darkness for the purpose of watching the development of the plot and exposing its machinations at the right time the irrepressible interviewer asked whether the right time might not have come a little earlier say just before the murder of seth chickering mr bostock said yes very likely of course he did not profess to have studied the question closely he had so many other things to do but still it was quite possible the watching man if any such man there were might not have got hold of the plot in time to prevent the murder of seth chickering all this mystery tended to make mr bostock the hero of the hour he had done the deed of a faithful friend in following mr aspin home that night and if mr aspin were to live his life would undoubtedly be owing to the daring intervention of professor bostock bostock's photograph at once became popular and the renown of his skill as a fencer went over the land the culture college became through him far more famous than ever then his theory about the murders was eagerly taken up by all the papers and certainly made good preparations for the emerging out of darkness and on to the light and scene at an appropriate time of Jeffet bland the public opinion of the hour was strongly inclined to make in advance a hero of japhet bland 
and to look with keen suspicion on the vanished rat gundy the man who had voluntarily disappeared stood at a great present disadvantage when compared with the man who had voluntarily declined thus far to put in an appearance what about the red-haired and red-bearded man the police made endless perquisition for any man of that description who could fairly come within the reach of suspicion red-haired and red-bearded men are common objects on every shore but even in all the excitement the police could not venture to arrest in turn every red-haired and red-bearded man and to try to make him amenable to the criminal laws of england some riverside folk did call attention to the fact that a man with unkempt red hair and a red beard used sometimes to show himself in a strange amphibious sort of life above bridge at battersea but if any such man had ever been there he was nowhere now to be seen the earth and water have bubbles and apparently he was one of them after a while gerald began to get better and he too was interviewed and he certainly corroborated as far as was within the power of his observation and his memory the story told by professor bostock gerald was quite clear in his mind that the man he turned around to grapple with had a red beard he could not tell much more but that much at least he could tell he did not know the face he was not even certain that he could identify the man if he were to see him again but he was quite clear about the man having a red beard also he was quite clear about having heard professor bostock's voice crying out to the assassin that he should not escape this time and he was equally positive as to the fact that bostock's intervention had saved his life he had not the least idea he said that bostock was following him he did not believe at the time he was threatened by the slightest danger but in the very instant of his hearing bostock's voice his failing mind grasped a perception of bostock's futile warning and he knew that his brave friend had followed him and had saved him gerald was a little profuse in his expressions of admiration for professor bostock in truth he was thinking nearly all the time that bostock had saved him for fidelia that only for bostock he would have been killed and fidelia would be sorry and he looked upon bostock as having saved fidelia and himself a man to whom illness of any kind is new gets easily into an odd contemplative aloof sort of way of looking at events and scenes and possibilities gerald could now contemplate the possibility of his having been actually killed on the embankment and into what did the whole possibility resolve itself into nothing that directly concerned him 
he did not form any picture of his own early grave in some suburban burial-place of his own career suddenly and cruelly cut short of his sudden fall from realized love and promised wealth down into dusty death all this never presented itself to his mind he only thought of fidelia mourning for her murdered lover and tears came into his own eyes at the thought of tears in hers veil not the heaven of those bright eyes and tears sings the sad lover in don quixote poor gerald could not bear the very thought of fidelia's veiling the heaven of her bright eyes and tears even though the tears were to be shed for him of course gerald was asked if he had a theory about the attempt on the embankment did he think it had any connection with the successful attempt on the life of seth chickering well yes a theory of the kind had certainly been forcing itself upon him at first he was not inclined to believe that there could be much in it although of course he had often put himself the question who was the man interested in getting rid of seth chickering and the fact that seth was one of the few owners of the mine who had no heir did suggest a remote possibility of some selfish reason for the murder but when it became clear that the man with the red beard who had undoubtedly been an instrument in the murder of seth chickering had been seen by professor bostock outside the gate of the culture college had been seen by himself gerald in his struggle for life on the embankment and had been positively identified by professor bostock as the assailant in that struggle then it became impossible to doubt the existence of a murderous plot in which the man with the red beard was probably only an instrument had mr aspen ever heard of any of the claimants to the property having a red beard no he had never heard anything of the kind but then he had never heard much about the personal appearance of any of the claimants living or dead whom he did not himself personally know did he know anything about the man called red gundy oh yes and here gerald became a little impatient he knew red gundy and the people were simply bewildering themselves who let it get into their heads that red gundy had anything to do with these crimes but where was red gundy now on that point gerald could give no information the whole question narrowed itself down to the fact that the man with the red beard who had been found near the body of seth chickering had made a murderous attack on gerald aspen and that gerald aspen and seth chickering were alike heirs to the property in the diamond mine certainly it was not unnatural that popular suspicion should turn upon the missing red gundy every one remembered how after all it was he who was found by the police close to seth chickering's dead body on the other hand it was certain that the man with the red beard was not red gundy himself 
according to professor bostock's evidence at the inquest he had himself encountered the man with the red beard at a moment when rat gundy must necessarily have been talking with the police in the court running out of st james's street the one final question then was who is the man with the red beard we have been saying that professor bostock became the hero of the hour so he was in a certain sense but only in the sense of the hero whose heroism one admires not at all in the sense of the hero who exacts and absorbs our interest in that sense the hero of the hour was undoubtedly the man with the red beard the newspapers were full of leading articles and correspondence about him an immense variety of theories were set afloat like balloons across the sky of public controversy one hasty suggestion was that he was nothing but a madman with a passion for murder but this idea was soon knocked to pieces by the obvious comment that there was a little too much method in that sort of madness and that a lunatic who never wreaked his fury on any one except the claimants of a vast property might just as well be sane and do his murders with the purpose of other murderers it was taken for granted too that the murderer was not himself any one of the co-heirs he certainly was not captain raven he certainly was not gerald aspen he certainly was not rat gundy whom so many people had seen at the time of the inquest to be sure there remained the other co-heir Jeffet bland who had not yet appeared to claim his share of the inheritance but nothing could be more utterly preposterous than to suppose that a man who doubtless intended to present himself and make a claim to his share in that vast fortune would in the meantime go about murdering all his co-heirs and allowing himself to be seen and identified by two such totally different observers as red gundy and professor bostock the interest of expectancy was added to the interest of conjecture who is the man who has done all this is undoubtedly a very interesting question but it is not after all quite so interesting as the question what will he do next will he stop short at his last abortive attempt surely not that would be too illogical and imperfect he would make the whole business seem unmeaning and unreal a man might as well never have done a murder at all who could break off from his purpose in that incomplete fashion therefore the question for the public became whom will he attack next so the one terrible figure of the hour the one object of morbid curiosity and affrighted interest was the man with the red beard disobedient children were frightened into quiescence and order by being threatened with the man with the red beard there were topical songs about him at the music-halls 
there were encore verses introduced about him in the theatrical burlesques there was a flesh-creeping domestic melodrama made about him and played in one of the theatres at the east end huge lines on the bills of the evening papers announced the reported or rumoured certainly the word reported or rumoured being generally in small letters capture of the man with the red beard vulgar and brutal perpetrators of practical jokes tried to scare women and children in by-streets of evenings by announcing themselves in loud voices as the man with the red beard every man whom nature had lavishly adorned with a red beard and who did not feel inclined to sacrifice that ornament to what might be called a popular panic was liable to find himself regarded very often as an unwelcome intruder into omnibus or underground railway such an afflicted mortal getting into any public conveyance was very likely to hear a young fellow whisper facetiously to his sweetheart the man with the red beard some timorous creatures under the impelling influence of their wives who said they really could not otherwise go about with them any more went so far as to have the red beard greatly docked and reduced to comparatively insignificant proportions but even this timid policy this policy of compromise and of time-serving was not always rewarded by success sometimes the half-shorn man getting into an omnibus or an underground train heard a droll person whisper to some one near him a girl most likely look here he has shaved his beard yes the man with the red beard was for the time the man about whom every one talked about whom every one in the paragraphing line wrote paragraphs and every one in the topical song-line composed and sang songs some sceptics it should be mentioned still refused to believe that there was any such person in existence End of chapter twenty one